They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places. You'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides. There's not much danger of finding you're a stranger for a commissioner or ranger. They are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides official guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. Tonight we're stopping in on our Southern Neighbors for an All-American Girl Scout episode. We'll start off by learning all about the history of the USGS movement and their current operations. Then we'll hear about the life and legacy behind their founder, Juliet Gordon-Lowe. She was quite an interesting lady and one who's ahead of her time in many ways that we cannot wait to share with you. And to round off the night, we'll be singing a U.S. Girl Scout favorite, which is G for Generosity. Apparently, this is a campfire song that every Girl Scout should know. And before, But before we get to all of that, we want to let you know that this episode will likely be split into two parts. While doing our research, we found so much information that um, it definitely isn't everything, but we tried our best to pull um, information for as many different sources as possible. And if we miss something or you don't hear about a particular fad or facet of knowledge, um, it's just because there was so much that we had to choose what we thought was the best and most relevant. And because there was so much for us to cover, we will split it into two episodes, as we said. Um, the first one being the history of the Girl Scouts of the United States, um, which is this week's. And then we'll go on to learning about Juliet Gordon-Lowe and G for Generosity next week. Yeah. I was flabbergasted with how much information there was. Um, <laughs> definitely more than what we found for even doing the research for Canada and more than you found for I'm assuming what you found for Australia. Um, yeah, I think so. I think but, probably yeah. the biggest reason is because the U.S. just, there's so many, so much more in terms of um, knowledge available and also knowledge online. So people yeah. just, there's so many more resources. And I think also the number of people in the United States who have this knowledge and all that, like it just gets shared so much more yeah that's definitely what it felt like um so starting with the history the early history of the girl scouts um the first meeting in the u.s was held on march 12 1912 in savannah georgia uh, juliet gordon lowe's hometown and she had 18 girls show up um and they did you know all the typical things that we think early girl scouts did they camped they hiked they cooked all that fun stuff. Um, and fairly quickly, uh, Lowe wanted to continue expanding the program and uh, wanted to merge with the already existing Campfire Girls, which are or which was a similar program. But since the Campfire Girls was a much larger organization, they weren't uh, interested in combining with the Girl Scouts. Um, next, she went to go meet with the Girl Scouts of America, an earlier, smaller version of the Girl Scouts we know of today. Um, and the Girl Scouts of America was founded in Iowa by Clara Lester Lane, who felt that Lowe had copied her organization and was luring away members from GSA and threatened a lawsuit. But Lester Lane didn't have the same social connections that Lowe did, and Girl Guides of America died out without the two groups merging. Um, wow. I did not even know there was, like, 
a predecessor to I thought it was all the same so interesting um what got me was that she felt like the organizations were competing and saying they were both Girl Scouts yeah um and the (laughs) little of information I could find about Girl Scouts of America is that it was based off of Baden-Powell's program so I don't know what the fighting was about but there was some and Girl Scouts of America disappeared um, Juliet Lowe changed the name from the Girl Guides of America to the Girl Scouts of the United States and moved their headquarters from Savannah to D.C. in 1913. And then they moved the national headquarters once again just two years later in 1915, and this time to New York City, where I believe it still is today. The latest um, date I could find of New York was in the 90s. But I didn't see anything else past that, so I'm assuming they're still there. Um, the first badge that they made um, in um, the Girl Scouts was an aviation badge in 1916, which is pretty cool in a number of ways. They were um, figuring out badges in STEM fields way before it was cool. Mm. And they were coming up with badges and expanding their program four years before um, women could vote in the states. Um, So definitely hit the ground running with wanting to push those boundaries and not let gender stop anybody. Um, The next big milestone was the first cookies were sold by a troop in Oklahoma in 1917. Um, And that troop set... Uh, uh, more traditional bake sales, though, uh, more like a table and you bought cookies from the table than the more modern commercial sales that started in 1935, which, if I remember correctly, 1917's way before that Winnipeg unit started selling cookies in Canada, eh? Yeah, yeah like, ours did not start as a bake sale in that sense. Like, it started literally as selling cookies door-to-door, so it's not... I actually can't remember if it was an idea that we got from the Girl Scouts or how that worked. We had our own recipe. That's all I'll say. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Ours uh, had a different beginning slightly. Definitely. Um, and from 1912, when they started, the organization grew quite quickly um, from that original 18 members. And by 1920, eight short years Eight short years later, there was over 70,000 members. And three years after that, in 1923, there was over 125,000 members in every state of America, as well as Alaska, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. Um, Alaska and Hawaii not being states until later. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, so definitely grew quickly and like spread across the country um, in only 11 years. And that was before like the internet where I'm sure growing movements nationally was a lot harder than it is today. Um, yeah, yeah. In the thirties, um, during the great depression, uh, the Girl Scouts helped um, and did their part by um doing food drives and cooking and helping 
gather food for people in need. They also printed Who Are the Girl Scouts, a promotional booklet in Yiddish, Italian, and Polish to reach out to underserved immigrant communities in different parts of the country. Very cool. Yeah, so being on it, um, I thought it was strange that they picked those three languages. Uh, I guess that's yeah. what the uh, I think- groups were at that time. Immigrant groups at that time. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, yeah. I think overall, like the U.S. has a very like. There's a ton of different immigrants and cultures now, but mm-hmm. I think at that time specifically, like Jewish, Polish. Well, Jewish and Polish. Like there were a lot of Jewish poles, um, and then like everyone was sort of. I think. I guess at that time they would have been leaving, trying to leave Europe or seek safety. But also, like the U.S. has a really, especially in like New York, um, strong Jewish, like and Italian. I think they were all headed to New York. They must have, but they have that strong foundation there. Yeah, um, and just being like that proactive and creative to reach out to them in their um, first languages, making them feel a little bit more welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving yeah. on from the 30s into the 40s with World War II raging, um, they switched up what their um, efforts were. And like what we talked about in the Canadian Girl Guides, they helped support um, the war effort at home and operated as bike couriers, ran farm aid projects, collected fat and scrap metal, and grew Victory Gardens. They also, like Canadian British Girl Guides at the time, taught survival schools or survival skills to um, women and children who were struggling with all the turmoil that happened during the war. Um, another thing that I found really interesting is that they had Girl Scouts in the Japanese internment camps that were. Um, all over Canada and the U.S. at the time um, where um, people were concerned about Japanese, Americans, and Canadians being spies. Um, So they basically locked them up in glorified camps um, and had all their property sold. Um, But in these American internment camps, uh, they had Girl Scouts that um, were in most of the camps. And these girls even participated in the Crystal City internment camp in Crystal City, Texas. So a national camp for Girl Scouts who were in internment camps. Um, What I couldn't find... That's really odd. Yeah. What I couldn't find is, were these camps started by the girls and women who were interned against their will? Or were they forced to participate mm-hmm. to help um, colonize, not colonize, yeah, I guess colonize them. Um, yeah. Yeah, which what we'll talk about in a future episode is how Girl Guides was used, <laughs> were used in residential camps in Canada. I wonder if it's a similar... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but there's so much information, I didn't have enough time to really dive into that question. Yeah, because it's... Um, I forget what 
episode it was, but we did talk about how Girl Scouts, I think twice we've talked about it, how they've emerged in like internment camps or like wherever during war when they weren't supposed to, like when they were captured by the enemy or so to speak. But those typically happened by the women and girls in there um, and were just allowed by whoever was holding them prisoner. Um, Yeah. So that's, yeah, I would be very um, intrigued to know how that started. Mm -hmm. Um, They received a congressional charter on March 16th, 1950. Um, And then later on in the 50s, they assembled Kits for Korea, which were pouches or bags of items needed by Korean citizens uh, affected by the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like most of the United States, Girl Scouts started desegregating in the 50s. Um, but leading up to that, there was quite a history of Girl Scouts um, forming troops for minority or, or minority groups. So the first African-American troop was founded quite early in the Girl Scout history in 1917. The first African-American troops were formed in New York State in 1921. And the first Mexican-American troop was formed in Texas in 1922. Um, And then they got some high praise from both Ebony and Martin Luther King Jr. in the 50s. Ebony Magazine say in 1952 that Scouts were making slow and steady progress towards removing the racial barriers of the South. Um, And then Martin Luther King described the Girl Scouts as a force for desegregation a couple of years later in 1956. So some pretty mighty work. Yeah. Um, And definitely something today, like I noticed today there's um, a lot of you know, it's a place where girls can meet people that they wouldn't necessarily meet, you know, at school or in other groups. Um, it's a little more diverse than a lot of other programs, I find. And you get to spend a lot mm, yeah. time and, like, learn a lot more about each other than you would in a program set up by your city that runs for, you know, a couple months at a time. I think sports is also like sports groups is a good um, example of that, Um, especially for things like, say, up here in Canada, um, hockey is known to be a really expensive sport. So therefore, only like fairly wealthy families can afford it. And therefore, you it just happens to be this way. A certain segment of the population are known, you know, to to participate in that sport. So therefore, you I mean, it's getting better, but you don't. Yeah, you. Typically, hockey is like rich white families is all I can say. Like, that's why there's not a lot of um, race um, diversity in that sport, for example. Um, There are many other examples. You see it more, of course, though, in the cheaper sports, like, say, soccer, where, like, you don't have to buy all this equipment. Um, It's, I think, a little bit better in terms of diversity. It's it's just very interesting. Take a look at Team Canada's soccer team versus Team Canada's hockey team the diversity in race is completely different and it's like, it's crazy surprising, but it, it sort of makes sense based on wealth, which is yeah. sad, but. It's a lot cheaper and easier to buy a pair of shoes than it is to buy hockey equipment. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and especially with guiding, even 
like the access um the uniform is a t-shirt it's pretty easy in the uh, states mm-hmm. even less than just a t-shirt so um, pretty easy for people of all um economic backgrounds to join and participate yeah and there's programs too that are sort of built in place to make it easier we have the try now join later you can also apply for subsidies if like your financial situation isn't great um so yeah it's like meant to (laughs) meant to help all girls to be included definitely um the national girl scout program center was established at the gordon family home in savannah georgia in 1956 um, as a space for um, programs to be run and developed. Um, in 1969, a national initiative called Action 70 was created to help eliminate three job justices, um, both in guiding or in scouting and in, your, in the girls' broader communities. Um, which corresponded, I'm not sure if it directly corresponded, but- Alert from Google Chrome, upwards. Sorry. Um, Which led quite nicely into uh, the next year, or the next decade in the 70s, where the Girl Scouts elected their first African-American National Board President, um, and then continuing on with various acts of service, helping Vietnamese, uh, refugee children adapt to their new lives in America. Um, and then the last little bit of history that I have is that President Obama awarded Juliet Lowe a posthumous honor of the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2012, which is the highest honor, um, highest civilian honor um, in America um, to mark 100 years of Girl Scouts of America. Um, I'm not sure if we mentioned that a couple weeks ago in our centenary episode, but definitely worth mentioning again. Um, and then the branches, which I know being online and being a member of various guiding and scouting communities, I've been so confused by the American branches. Um, and, <laughs> um, with reason, because it is a little bit confusing. <laughs> so in 1912, like- I feel like just any other, sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead, finish your thought. I was gonna say, I feel like any other organization other than your own, it just like is very confusing because the age is so different, <laughs> like even just a couple years and you're like, oh, like, so quick example is guides in the UK go from I think 10 to 14 whereas we definitely split that between guides and pathfinders so it's like a totally different age group and segment um so yeah so the branches um like most guiding organizations in um the early days um were originally between um 10 and 18 uh but they quickly changed that um to match the program and development of the girls and um, going with how guiding wanted to continue or how little sisters joined and, um, you know, the guides didn't want to hang out with their little sisters. 
So they quickly adapted a brownie program um, based off of the uh, same program um, in England in 1914 that was officially recognized in the mid-20s. And then at the same time they officially recognized brownies, they also officially recognized senior scouts, which um, is for girls over the age of 16. Um, so the Canadian version of the early senior branches. Um, and then in 1938, they played with the ages again a little bit to make brownies from age seven to nine. Um, they changed the name of the guides or scouts in the middle to intermediates who are ages 10 to 13. And then seniors, they changed the ages a little bit again. Um, and seniors became girls aged between 12 and 18. And that's um, what the age breakdown was until 1965, when the branches were changed again, creating more branches and dividing up those ages a little bit more. Um, so in 65, the age groups were brownies from um, age 7 to 8, juniors age 9 to 11, cadets age 11 to 14, and then seniors again 14 to 18. Um, so starting to look more like what we're used to today um, around the world, kind of the same number of branches and the same age breakdowns that's pretty common through at least um more western guiding groups or guiding countries um and then in the early 70s brownies changed again um and this time uh they changed to allow girls to join when they were in when they were six or in grade one kind of starting at the beginning of elementary school to because it's weird starting a program partway through elementary school in grade two. It's like a weird start mm-hmm. for a program. Um, and then also in the 70s, they started Pixies, which was a long-term pilot program for Daisies, um, which officially, or which was introduced nationally in 1984, um, who are little girls aged five and six. Um, And then Studio 2B, um, which took me a while to understand, was created in uh, 2003 for girls aged 11 to 17. So for cadets and seniors. And it allowed girls to also work on their silver, silver and gold awards as well as traditional badges. Um, alongside booklets that focus on different topics. Um, and some examples given were STEM and environmentalism. Um, so it seems like mm-hmm. it's a little bit more self-driven study um, as well as a little bit more, um, a broader range of topics that can be covered instead of the typical um, badges that you work on. And then the final the change. The name choice is interesting. It sounds like a movie studio. Yeah. Um, it was 
hard to understand and didn't really, I couldn't really figure out where it fit in. So if someone wants to write in and let us know, that would be appreciated. Because um, at first I thought it was similar to um, Girl Guides of Canada Treks, which is more like girls mm. focus more on camping and outdoors. But this didn't seem like that either. So I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> and the last major change to the branches came not that long ago in 2008, um, where some big changes were made most or not big changes. Um, they changed. So the branches were divvied up by grades instead of ages, um, to make it a little bit easier and girls weren't switching mm. units, um, during the school year. Um, and then they created a ambassador's age group. So as of right now, the it works out to daisies are girls in kindergarten. Brownies are girls um, two, one to three. Juniors are girls in grades four and five. Cadets are grades six to eight. Seniors are grades 9 and 10, and then ambassadors are grades 11 and 12. Hmm. Um, and like many programs, they have a loan program, um, which is called Juliet's, although that term was phased out nationally um, to go with, a, with the term independent Girl Scouts. Uh, most councils still use the term Juliet's, at least internally. Um, and then the next thing that really confused me with the Girl Scouts, especially coming from Canada, where we have everything just divided up by provinces, um, is that their national or their organizational structure. Um, so they also have national headquarters. Um, which is headed by a CEO and a 40-member board of directors. And from there, they've divvied up um, the country into a hun or sorry, yeah, 112 councils that cover either large parts of, this, of states or geographical areas. Um, and they've determined that the optimal size for a council is... 10,000 girls um, to kind of keep things organized and uh, kind of keep things moving. Um, and then the councils are then subdivided into either uh, neighborhoods, service units, or associations, depending on the individual council. Um, and then uh, your individual troop or your individual unit. Um, so I guess councils are their version of our uh, provincial districts or provincial areas. Um, and then um, their subdivided neighborhoods or associations would either be districts or communities depending on which province you're in. <laughs> so I'm like, when I, you know, can start finding stuff on various council websites. I now have an idea of what all that means. Yeah, yeah. It's um, interesting because 
I like the way that they've um, divided it based on number of girls in said council, because mm-hmm. I think that better distributes resources. I think they would have the same problem as we do, though I imagine, um, I think the reason we're in provinces is because of provincial laws and provincial regulations and whatnot. Probably. Um, but they would have the same problem because they're also divided into states and states have different powers than like national. So I'd imagine even though they're doing it regionally like that and by numbers, they would probably encounter the same problems we would if we attempted that, but uh, they must make it work somehow and it seems to work all right. Yeah. Um, and it might be like just geographical differences in states. Cause like, mm-hmm. I know in Ontario, like geographically the difference between Southern Ontario and Northern Ontario is not insignificant. Um, and the needs of Northern Ontario is dramatically different than the needs of Southern Ontario. Um, yeah, and that's the same for all the provinces. Um, the interior BC is very different than the coast. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and East Coast, even to West Coast, too, is quite different. Like, East Coast is not as vastly populated as the West Coast is. And yeah, it's just. Yeah. <laughs> The population's not even. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, like every um, guide, um, organize, guiding or scouting organization nationwide, uh, they have their promise, which can be made officially in Spanish, English, or sign language, uh, which I thought was cool, um, being officially being able to make it in sign language. Um, and their promise is along the same lines as ours, a little bit different. It's on my honor. I will try to serve my God and my country to help people at all times and to live by the Girl Scout law. Excuse me. And uh, you can substitute God for another word that is consistent with your personal beliefs. Um, so it could be faith, creed, um, Allah, um pretty much anything uh they were they weren't putting any um they weren't putting a limit to whatever options you can put as long as it's kind of that higher meaning higher like something to hold you accountable Mm -hmm. um their law which Again, very similar to ours in Canada is I will do my best to be honest and fair, friendly and helpful, considerate and caring, courageous and strong, and be responsible for what I say and do and to respect myself and others, respect authority, use resources wisely to make the world a better place, to make the world a better place and to be a sister to every Girl Scout. They also have a motto of be prepared, but what I found it interesting was they also have a slogan, which is do a good turn hmm. daily, which is, I'm pretty sure, the motto for brownies in Canada. I could be wrong. Yeah. I think it's something like that. I'm trying to remember. Lend a hand, I think, is like the big thing, but yeah. it might have changed over the years. I- Something along those lines. Um, But I found it interesting that they had a slogan that covered all ages um, versus Mm. um, other places not. 
Um, and then the uniform is very different than Canada's, but I think more along the lines of the uniforms in other countries. Um, so mm. the uniform is a choice of either a tunic, vest, or sash for displaying the official pins and awards that girls receive. Um, the uh, Underneath um, the tunic, shirt, or vest um, is a solid white shirt and khaki pants or skirts that you can get anywhere. So they don't have to be, like, it's not an official shirt or anything. Uh, just a plain white shirt. And then once in high school, there's an optional scarf that they can wear as well. And then the colors of the different ages, which I've also have yet to be, until now, figure out what any of these colors mean when I see Girl Scouts. Yeah. Is daisies were blue, brownies were brown, juniors were green, and then cadets, seniors, and ambassadors all wear khaki. Um, so kind of losing your distinction between groups as they get older, but it gives girls the option, um, if they don't have a lot of badges, they can keep the same, um, vest or sash all the way through. Um, if they are, um, badge hounds or hoarders, uh, they have the option of buying vests and sashes as needed. Yeah, I think it also probably accommodates like growth spurts. So like growing up in the younger years, you're going to change sizes quite frequently. Whereas mm -hmm. when you get a bit older, um, although you can still definitely hit growth spurts in high school, like it's just like you tend to have most of your size like figured out, at least in this chest area. Like, yeah. <laughs> and you can, like you said, just buy another one if needed. But I can see why that's the way it is. Mm hmm. Definitely. Um, and that's more along the, you know, same uniforms, more along the lines of how Canada is it now, where it's one shirt from Sparks all the way to Leaders, um, and you just buy new shirts as you grow. Mm -hmm. um, they have all the same traditions as we do in Canada, except they also have Founders Day, which celebrates Juliet Lowe's birthday on October 31st. Um, and it seems like what they do for Founders Day is add birthday cakes to their Halloween parties. Um, which makes sense. Um, but they dress up, they do their typical Halloween-y type event, um, and then also enjoy some cake. Um... And then um, badges and other awards. So they have skill badges, which are like the guide and brownie interest badges, I believe. I couldn't find a ton of information on skill badges, but that's what it kind of led me to understand. And then the journey awards, which is a series of lessons on a particular topic. And journey awards are made of multiple parts, and all parts must be completed before you can earn the journey. Um, which mm. is um, kind of similar to how our program is with the program areas. Um, you need to complete so many um, activities in a theme, and you have to commit so many themes to get your 
program area. Um, if you complete three journeys at one level, you earn a summit pin um, commemorating the work you've done. Um, and before you can start your bronze, silver, or gold award projects, you need to complete at least one journey in your age category. Um, so their awards are similar to the uh, Bain and Powell Award, Kid Accord, and Trailblazers Award in Canada, with significantly less um, influence or significantly less attention paid to program. Um, so each project is um, a project that has to benefit either your local community or scouting um, and has a not insignificant um, time allotted to the group or to the project. Um, so the bronze award is for girls at the junior level um, and the bronze award is done as a team effort of two to four girls. Um, and each girl is expected to contribute a total of 20 hours to the project. And adults are allowed to be on hand to assist and guide the girls completing their project. Um, the silver award is individual or small group. So pairs or uh, groups of three. Um, each group or each girl must contribute 50 hours and silver awards must be girl led, but adults can be on hand to advise and assist as necessary. And then the gold award is for girls in senior or ambassador. It's the highest award in um, Girl Scouts and only 5.4 eligible Girl Scouts successfully earned the award. So it's a pretty high um, standard and pretty impressive when you do complete it. Um, to be eligible to even start your gold award, you need to e complete either two journeys in senior or ambassador or complete one journey and have your silver award. So you have to show that you're dedicated to guiding and have that time management skill before you can even start. And the Gold Award is a service project that reaches beyond the Girl Scout community and provides lasting benefit to girls in the larger area, in the larger community. Um, the Gold Award is a minimum of 80 hours of work in planning and completing the project. And it's an individual award, but girls are encouraged to use troop members to help. Although the time that their troop members put in um, isn't counted towards that 80 hours of work. Um, <laughs> if you complete your gold award um, and decide to enlist in the armed forces, you may receive an advanced uh, rank once you enlist, and some post-secondary schools offer scholarships to recipients, um, which makes sense. It seems like it's a lot of work. I'm not sure if I would have been able to juggle and plan and figure all that out when I was in high school. 80 hours of work and planning and completing a project is a lot of time. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, yeah. it's, it's completely focused on like what you would call a service project. But I feel like time spent is probably equivalent to getting your trailblazers. Like, you still have to earn all that program and that program takes a lot of work. 
um, and do a yeah. service project that's, I think, 20 hours, I believe. Um, yeah, but I felt like so I did a lot. I think time. Sorry, continue. I was going to say time-wise, it seems the same, but it's a totally different basis of, like, what you're doing your work on. Yeah, um, I remember doing, like, just being able to complete a lot of my program work for my chief commissioner, what's now the Trailblazers, in meetings and at camp yeah. and stuff. Like, it was a lot of, like, things we're already doing, we're going to focus on what girls need to do to complete their Trailblazer. Um versus going out and doing an 80-hour service project. Um, yeah, I wonder and, if, like, they have to do all, attend all their meetings on top of this, or if it's, like, maybe a little more relaxed and they don't meet as often. Like, I'm very curious to know, mm-hmm. like, how much time goes into that in terms of, like, meetings and their project, their gold award, yeah. I say. Um, I wonder how much of that's on the individual girl kind of figuring out um, what works best for her. Yeah. Um, and then, um, like any youth organization, there's always um, some scandals to go around. And <laughs> the ones I found on Girl Scouts were pretty tame compared to a lot of what we hear about with children organizations. Um, being in the United States, they were focused on sexuality and gender. Um, so they have a national policy of don't ask, don't evangelize about uh, sex and gender. However, in mm. October 2011, Girl Scouts of Colorado publicly stated, if a child identifies as a girl and the child family needs, presents her as a girl, Girl Scouts of Colorado welcomes her as a Girl Scout. Um, saying this one day, welcome the first publicly transgender Girl Scout into one of their units. Um, and then a couple, really, couple years later, in July 2015, the Girl Scouts of Western Washington re- returned a $100,000 donation after their donors stipulated that the money couldn't be used to support services for transgender Scouts. Um, the council started a crowdfunding fundraiser to make up for the lost donation and raised a quarter of a million dollars, um, <laughs> which more than made up for that original donation. Um, so while they, you know, officially might wow. say, you know, we aren't really saying anything, their actions, at least in these two councils, um, <laughs> in a very different light on what they are opening their arms to. Um, and that brings mm. me to the end of their history and background and everything. Um, yeah. It was a lot, but I'm sure I missed stuff. Like, I know I missed stuff, but it was interesting to dive deep into on the organization that as Canadian Girl Guides, we are so commonly um, misattributed to. Um, I know whenever (laughs) I say I'm a Girl Guide, um, probably like a quarter of the time, they're like, oh, like Girl Scout? Um, Yeah. 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 I think it's an issue that you get if you go to areas where there's Girl Scouts, like, or like where girls 
um, girl guides or girl scouts is combined with boy scouts. So like, for instance, when we went to the Netherlands, guides and scouts are one, like scouts mm-hmm. is just seen as completely like equal in gender um, in terms of their numbers. So, and same with like Iceland. So yeah, they yeah. think they just call it scouts because that's what they're used to. And also I think when you come from North America, they just assume like it's all the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I don't know. I've never asked them what they assume, but um that's generally I think why but I wonder if you went to a country where like in the UK they they call us girl guides right like when we're talking back and forth between Canada and the UK so I think it really depends on who you're talking to (laughs) if they're Mm -hmm. scout based like that is their name then they'll probably call you a girl scout but if they're guiding based they'll probably call you a girl guide yeah um, totally depends I, I find it even with like members of the public like if you're out selling cookies or something yeah um, people just yeah. aren't familiar that um wags is a international organization um you hear <laughs> yeah. a lot about girl scouts in media especially because so much of our media in canada is just american media sent over the mm. border um yeah yeah I think too, I'll just quickly add is that um, I think Girl Scouts is unique and like sort of separate from Girl Guides like that way because of the founding is different. And so that can be also another big thing that, I mean, I think people just assume again, like you said, like, oh, you're just all, you're all the same. And I think also in the US, they're just like so single minded, not everyone, but a lot, a lot of people are that they don't realize that, yeah, WAGS is huge and that <laughs> it's much more far-reaching um, than you think. Mm-hmm, definitely. That brings us to the end of the first half of this double episode. Um, so, like always, make sure you subscribe on your favorite, favorite platform. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google... Um, wherever you find us, give us a five-star rating and a review to let us know that you're listening and enjoying. And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Guides Own on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're following us there to keep up to date on new episodes, any podcast news, and the behind-the-scenes bits. Mm-hmm. And as we and as we part, we wish you all good guiding. Good guiding. Day is done, gone the sun, from the lake, from the hills, from the sky. All is well, safely rest, peace is nigh.